What's up everybody, Travis McKenzie here for another special edition of the Inner Voice podcast. I hope you're staying safe and healthy while still finding time to move wherever you are in the world. We're seven episodes into the I'm Curious to Know project, a series of daily conversations every day in May where I host world-class athletes, innovators, and unique personalities from the world of endurance sports. It's been a fantastic week and the consistency has given me amazing focus. I've learned a lot from my guests and we still have three more weeks of outstanding humans to talk to. Today's guest is someone I've previously described as the future of triathlon, Ben Canoe. He's already an Olympian, a world championship medalist, and is a ferocious competitor. Do not be surprised to see Ben winning major races for many years to come. Today's discussion was especially powerful as I dug into the importance of Ben's mental approach to sport and how working with a sports psychologist has helped him relax and overcome the tension that usually comes with a big occasion. I'm grateful for his time and I'm grateful for yours. Please enjoy the show. I'm very pleased to bring you today's uh, guest, professional triathlete, US Olympian, uh, all-round legend, Ben Knut. Ben, how are you, mate? Good. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Travis. It's great to see you. We've, uh, we, we've crossed paths a few times. Uh, we've always had a really good, uh, good time together, some great conversations. I've referenced you quite a few times as the future of the sport, the future of triathlon. I've also referenced you as probably the most competitive person that I've ever come across. And I'll, I'll give the context on that. You stayed with us at a resort that we were at in Sedona a couple of years ago. You and your wife, girlfriend at the time, Courtney, were there. Uh, and you looked down at the tennis court and you were convinced that you were going to, to beat Courtney in tennis, even though she's a, a very talented tennis player. And I could see the twinkle in your eye to know that this is a competitive person that will, will try and beat you at anything. My wife is in the background rolling her eyes because that's a funny story behind that. Because, yeah, we did go down and play tennis and she's more competitive than she lets on as well. And she was pissed because I started beating her for like the first game or two. And then she proceeded to come back and, and put me in my place. But, yeah, that's kind of the the story of, of our dating a little bit, too. I don't I don't let anybody win. So she she can hold her own, though. Being that you are so competitive, and obviously, you know, the season should be well and truly underway, the triathlon season here in the, in the Northern Hemisphere. How are you kind of reconciling that energy and, and that competitive spirit now that, you know, there's no races on until who knows when? It's a tough question, and it's one that I'm still trying to deal with as we we go through this uncertain time so at the beginning it was frustrating because you know it just felt like stuff was being delayed or there was a next race and you're still like want to be on that edge and want to be ready to be competitive at any moment whereas like right now there's been so many things pushed back delayed it's it feels more like the season would start up you know late summer the earliest early fall sometime there so i've reassessed and and re-looked whereas at the beginning, I, I was jumping on Zwift, trying to get in races. I was trying to figure out time trials or stuff I could do on my own, like wondering if I should go out and chase Strava segments. But instead of not wasting my energy, but instead of focusing a bunch on that, I've slowed down a bit and taken the time to refocus and, and use my energy to you know strengthen my weaknesses and make myself a more complete athlete at the end of this period so that when racing does happen, I'll be more prepared. I had a conversation with uh, with Crowley, Craig Alexander, a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of t- talked to him about the same thing. Like if you were an athlete, you know, he's still racing, but he's not as in it as you are. 
I said, what would be your advice? And he said, treat it like an extended off-season. Work on those weaknesses. Work on those one percenters. Spend time developing your whole game. You know, you mentioned that that's kind of your your plan now. Tell me about what that means for you. Does that mean extra hours running? You know, how are you going through that period and working on those? I mean, at the beginning, like I was saying, it was more like we're just trying to hold fitness, like wanted to be ready, you know, any moment for things to get better and hop on a plane and go race somewhere. But now that we're like stuck in this situation, like we're we're looking at it where we don't have to be conservative and ready to race and we don't have to keep all three sports up. So um, my swim and bike have traditionally been, you know, my weapons, the the things that I had that come a little bit more naturally to me. So I'd say for the next 12, 18 weeks, something like that is, is going to be a much heavier focus on the run. That doesn't necessarily mean crazy high volume or, you know, just crazy hard workouts, but just more of an intense focus on it and letting the swim and bike just kind of maintain and, and be there. And then once racing is more of a for sure thing, I can bring it all together and have had this like focus of being a bit more like a runner through these uh, next few months. Talk to me about the motivation. You know, have there been times over the last call it two months where you wake up and you're like, what's the point? You know, we're not racing. There's nothing going on. I'm going to have an extra beer at dinner or like, tell me about that. Has there been these roller coasters of kind of motivation and, and emotions that have come your way? Oh, for sure. I mean, I was at the point where, you know, I was coming off my wedding and my honeymoon and straight back into training. And it was, it felt like crunch time. Like everything had to go pretty perfect. Like didn't have like all of this time to get ready. And I was just very focused, getting everything done. And then it felt like, oh, now we've got time. Now there's like, it, it was almost, it's a blessing a bit for uh, me because like I was ready to go, but now we have even more. But now it's like, oh, we have all of this time to deal with. When is racing going to start? And that's kind of a slippery slope to go down because then it's kind of like, well, whatever, this yeah. year's a wash. But really, we don't know that. And for me, it's just, yeah, taking a step back and not being so serious. People mm-hmm. who are, are super fit right now or are trying to like smash records or, or be race ready. I, I've tried doing that for an entire year, starting in February and going till November and it's draining and to not have any races to do that with, like, I've just been like, okay, let's take it slow. Let's just like build into it. And with this renewed focus on the run, I think that's something that's important to have a goal with to kind of yeah. take next few months and have something a little bit more tangible to focus on rather than something that's just racing or trying to put up something impressive. Like I'm, it's more of a process goal rather than these outcome goals right now. Do you think that has anything to do with like a piece of identity? I think about this probably more from an amateur athlete standpoint where a lot of their identity is wrapped around their training for the next Ironman or whatever. And it's kind of an escape for them. And now they don't have that. So twofold, amateur athletes, you know, what would be some advice you would have for them? And then the second part of that question, do you think there's an element of some of your peers and colleagues who may be struggling around that identity piece? Well, yeah, I mean, I think racing, like I'm competitive, I'm very competitive and I love to race. That's one of the main things. And that's one of the things that gets me out the door. But what I think you have to go back to is it's it's all of those processes and the journey that leads up to the race. The race is pretty much the reward. So it's kind of 
switching that out and switching that mindset a bit and taking the time to enjoy the day to day. It's allowed me to take off some of the stress of going like, okay, you know, I don't have to go out and do three by 30 minutes on the bike today. I'm going to go out and ride for a few hours, or I'm just going to get a short session done on the bike here and then be able to enjoy the rest of my day and relax a bit more. So while the, I could see that there is some like, I guess, identity that goes into the race itself. Like there's so much more leading up to that and the process that goes into it that you could focus more on. Because in my opinion, at least, it seems like there's going to be racing again. I've thought of this too as kind of like a period of, I've always prepared for on the off chance something happens and I'm injured or I can't race and everybody's in the same boat here. This is actually an easier situation to be in where, you know, we can't race at all, but we can still train. And we don't have to yeah. watch other people racing. It's not like you're yeah. sitting on the sidelines watching the world go by, which is probably difficult with a, a big injury that would put you out for a year. But I believe we'll be back at some point. So it's kind of just looking at it as, you know, more of a pause rather than this world crashing down around us. You seem to have set up a, a pretty good situation for yourself where you're working on your personal brand, you're providing value to sponsors. You know, tell me about you, how much of a, a hit is it that you're not able to race and there's, you know, not the monetary rewards for prize money and things like that. It seems like you're in probably in a better situation than some of your peers are. But has that been a consideration as well? You know, watching the kind of the dollars go out the door that you tallied up already. I'm in a unique position, like you're saying, I'm I'm grateful and I'm I'm blessed to have made my career and to work hard to get to a point where I've saved and I've worked with my sponsors and gotten to a place where I can be comfortable right now and, and not be worried about when racing will come back. Yeah, you do see dollar signs going out the door when you look at, you know, four or five races that we could have done that I could have been competitive at in the first half of the year. But overall, like it's it's been that hard work in viewing triathlon as as a business as a whole. So I mean for me, the most important thing is is performing and, and being my best self and being the best athlete and person that I could be. But then it's also, like you said, like working on the brand, figuring out like who you are as a racer and as a person and, and trying to get companies to understand it. I've been pretty lucky to be connected with a, a bunch of different companies who I believe in. I believe in their products and they believe in me. When you find that, it's, it's not something gimmicky. You're not selling constantly. You just believe in the product. And it's very natural for me to talk about my sponsors and what I like about them and why I would continue to work with them. Tell me about some of those conversations you've had with your sponsors. You know, you're, you're talking to the athlete manager and you're kind of planning, okay, we, we're not going to be racing. What can we do? Like what have those conversations been like? Has there been any pullback or have they been positive for the most part? Uh, I think everybody's staying relatively positive. It's just been a bit of a shift for people. So, uh, and it depends like what country your uh, sponsors are based out of. I've got some that work pretty closely with people in Italy and they've rearranged a lot of their manufacturing to help donate masks or PPE for the workers who, who need it where there's a shortage. And, you know, others are just keeping their branding as it kind of continues and focusing on, you know, healthy lifestyle, being outside. It's really interesting to kind of see like, yeah, I feel like it's this broad spectrum of some people are are majorly affected in their industry and some people aren't. Just being in Phoenix where we're allowed to go outside, 
I've never seen so many people on the canal paths here, out on the trails at trailheads. Yeah. It, it's kind of this conundrum, I guess, for me, because I'm like, wow, it's awesome to see so many people out. And I feel like there's going to be a boom in the endurance industry because everybody's be- being so fit right now and getting out. But then it's also... Mm-hmm hoping that everybody's keeping their distance a little bit. I've had some interesting guests and they've kind of talked about that. Like Kevin Rutherford, the CEO of Noon Hydration, talked about how their business is growing because people always need to stay hydrated. It seems like more people are moving. And there's been some studies that have shown that people who are used to work out once or twice a week are now doubling that. They're now, you know, two to four times a week. And it does seem like there is this kind of push to be outside and get moving again, which is fantastic. I've also noticed that around here, at least, people seem to be so much more kind. They're waving to each other as they're running by each other. They're given a wide berth, but they're given a wave. And I hope to see that continue as well. Yeah, I find it really interesting. If you can weather this time, like I feel like the industry is going to be like really great. Like I've heard people say they're going to sign up for half marathons who they just started running and they found, hey, I'm more fit than I have. And I've really enjoyed this running thing. So I want to go sign up for some races. So I think that'll be great. And when the time comes, it'll be awesome to support like all of the local races that are trying to make a comeback after this. Now, tell me about that personal brand building. I know that you and Courtney work really close together to create content and provide value away from the, from the course for your sponsors. Tell me about that process. Is it a strategy or are you kind of at ad hoc each day? Like, oh, we should do this. Or are you guys sitting down at the beginning of the week, beginning of the month saying, here's what we want to populate. Here's what we need to create. Here's what we want to talk about. I think it really starts with communication with the sponsors and seeing what they're looking for in their brand. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of triathletes can make or a lot of athletes who start working with a sponsor is they kind of expect the brand or they just kind of expect to be told what to do. But if you can talk and you can say like, hey, this is what I can offer. This, These are what my posts look like or this is uh, what we could do, like, or what sort of branding are you guys doing on a day-to-day basis? Like, where's your advertising going and how do I fit into that? And then probably, you know, trying to just create some content. It's something that Courtney and I were having a constant conversation of what our sponsors asking of us right now, what can we offer them? That could be a cool thing that, you know, maybe some other sponsors have liked. And that's yeah. anything from audio workout type files to videos to pictures. So it's kind of this ongoing conversation of what's going on with the branding right now and making sure that you you fit into it. If you can have an open conversation with the people who are behind the product, that to me, I think is, is the biggest thing because then whether it's yourself or you're working with a team, you can go and you can plan out yeah. when that relationship is not genuine, then it gets real forced and it's, it's just hard. You're lucky that you have Courtney to, to help. And I know that a lot of people, and I say lucky with respect, you guys have worked for that. So I'm not discounting that at all, yeah. but some people don't have that ability or maybe they don't have the strategy or the, or the foresight to be able to, to create that for themselves. All they want to do is like race and train and what have you. And there's this a little bit of pushback, but that's not the reality of our current world. Yeah. You see it all the time. Like I mean, and I was guilty of this for a while too, where I thought that, you know, qualifying for an Olympic team would mean people would be banging down my door to get sponsorships. It's really not like you have to come to the table with something. And I mean, I even found like the Olympics are, are only marketable to a certain extent. You have to be able to speak, you have to be able to interact and just being visible, I think is important. And, you know, some people have some really professional stuff that they do, but even somebody who's just updating 
their followers are just being genuine and being able to communicate. People respond really well to that. People who are like honest and open and willing to let others into their lifestyle a little bit. And that's kind of what Courtney and I try to do through, you know, whatever it is that we're working on is just giving a little bit of like that that look inside of, of what it takes for us to, to do what we do. You guys do a great job. I love the the Cribs edition where you, you guys go to these open houses and, and, and show us around these beautiful places in Phoenix. I also love your coffee content. And we had a great comment here from John Young, who's a big fan of the show. Great to see you here again, John. He asked about the science lab behind you, which, which is really just the, uh, the coffee machine. That was my first irresponsible purchase as a professional triathlete. I saved up for it for a while, for a few years. And after working on my pour overs and all of that, like I, I looked at it and I'm like, oh, I think I have enough saved now and researched for like a year before buying anything. But yeah, it's my espresso machine set up back behind me. And you see it a lot and it kind of comes with the culture a little, but I yeah. science major and a physiology major. And I just ended up really kind of, I guess, geeking out behind a lot of the science behind the coffee, just figuring out like how to make a really, really good cup. And there's a lot of great resources out there. I think like Matt Perger and some of these other guys like get way into like coffee extraction, best way to make any type of coffee, whether it's French press, pour over, yeah. espresso, and it's fun to have. And it's just like a hobby of mine. I've enjoyed everything from just hanging out in coffee shops all over the world to making it at home. So Courtney and I both enjoy having a cup of coffee, like, and not having to go out to the shops, especially right now. So we've talked about coffee. We've talked about the the open houses. You alluded to your Olympic experience. I want to hear about that because I talked to Brenda Martinez the other day. She talked about her Olympic experience and she was getting her ring sized in Houston and she turns to her left and Serena and Venus Williams are sitting there. So tell me about your experience at the Olympics. The Olympics was, it was awesome. Like I had a lot of great memories from there. I think racing is probably one of the coolest things, just the crowd and being able to have my family there, like my, both my parents and my brothers, like it's not often that all of them get to show up to a race, um, especially in a different country. But I think out of the whole journey, one of the coolest things was how I qualified, having kind of a, a couple of terrible races at the test event and really having to work on the mental side and, and adjusting some training stuff to, to put myself back in it. It started in Chicago with kind of just the, the grand final there and really just kind of having fun with with a race and taking a chance and got some points in the qualification process there. But then in Yokohama, where I ran myself onto the team, like for the first time in, in a long time there, where I just kind of sat back on the swim and the bike and, and relaxed and then ran probably one of my best 10 Ks off the bike, the best one at that point, for sure. When, you know, I had the likes of like Kevin and I was racing against Joe and Greg and Eric Lagerstrom was there. Like some of the guys who have like this pedigree of running Jared Shoemaker, who, you know, on paper, probably people would have bet against me and put them ahead to qualify for the team, but ended up like getting it done there. So that was, yeah. that was the most special part. And from there on out, it was just kind of like, enjoying the ride. It's interesting. You talk about your run being potential weakness. I've seen you, you just talked about running yourself onto the team. I've seen you make up unbelievable time at major league triathlon races on the run. Do you feel like there is a sense of when your back's against the wall and you've got something to chase that all of a sudden you can unlock something that allows your run to all of a sudden be a strength? I struggle with this because I don't really like calling my run a weakness, I guess, in comparison to the swim and the bike. Like 
I'd put myself in, in the top echelon of the sport. Like I'd, I'd put myself in the top percentage, whereas the run, maybe just I'm comparing against some of the best runners in triathlon. So maybe it's just, you know, off of their pace a little bit and I'm looking to, you know, run with them or ahead of them. So I'm being a little bit hard on myself, but there's definitely been some races where I've been able to, to tap into something and get to, you know, what me and my sports psychologist call like that flow state where everything just clicks. I just have like this more experienced swimming and biking. It just clicks a little bit easier where I have to just pay a little bit more attention to the run. So that's why I'm focusing a little bit more on it here. And why I've kind of focused on it more in the past is just to, you know, kind of hone it and make sure that every time I go out there, it's like, I'm, I'm hitting it out of the park. Tell me about that sport psychology piece. I think that uh, so much visibility to swim, bike, run, there's workouts for forever and a day that you can find. And the, the, really the big unlock is that mental side of the sport. Tell me about your experience with that. When did you start with the psychologist? What, what are the things that you guys talk about? You don't have to open the full playbook, but I'd love to kind of get an insight into into what that's like. Yeah, so I started working with him after the Rio test event. I, I had one of the worst races of my life. Like I got dropped in the swim, was just barely holding on to the bike in the main pack, and then, uh, I mean, jogged the run. All of my training had been good up until that point. So I was just asking myself a lot of questions, like what's going on? And what we figured out was I was putting a lot of pressure on myself to do you know, what was expected of me. Like I was supposed to automatically qualify for the team there because it was a course that suited me. It was made for breakaways. It was an ocean swim, hilly bike. Like, and there were guys like the Brownleys there who were gonna break everything up. And yeah, I was gonna make the breakaway and run myself onto an Olympic team and just like massively failed at them. So it was going back and just remembering, like getting back to like the process goals, not comparing myself to other people, not like trying to live up to expectations. And I think the mental side, just like the physical is always an ongoing process. And you're always trying to make sure like focus on yourself. What can I do to be the best and having like those process goals in there, what can I do? Like what would equate to a successful race overall, even if I didn't, have the outcome goal, like make the Olympic team. And that's what it all came to in Yokohama was I was relaxed going into that race, just having some fun. And it was like, you know, I'm either going to make this team or I'm not. And it's fine if I don't like the world, it's I'm going to be able to keep racing. Like it's not the end of the world if I don't. And I think being relaxed like that really helped me break through to that, that level that I needed. That mental side almost seems like the ultimate test of process goals because there's no good, bad, win, loss in the mental side of the sport. You know, you're not going to keep a checklist of how many times you had a negative thought in a race, I'm assuming. So it, it auto, automatically causes itself to just be about the process. Uh, and it's probably just this never-ending um, cycle that you go through that you're never going to get perfect at it, but each day you can be a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better. Yeah, and it's just focusing on like what you can do. And that's that's truly like what makes champions and what makes people successful is you look at people who are considered the greatest and a lot of their great sporting moments or a lot of the stuff they go back on is or that people are impressed with are when the odds seem stacked against them or something tragically like blows up on them or just totally messes up, but they still follow through and they still win. They still succeed, but it, it wasn't like that was easy for them they they just make it look easy it's all about like being solution focused and like what can i do right now to keep moving forward and keep making progress what are some of those things that you say to yourself what are the what are the mantras or what are the messages that that go through your head to keep you moving forward 
I mean, I draw a lot on like my consistent work that I do like throughout the year, but you know, if something's going wrong, I feel like I'm like a lot of stuff, especially when you're in that perfect, like slow state, I feel like everything is not like slow motion, but I can just process stuff very easily. Like if something like whatever, a flat tire or, you know, somebody really like beats up the onion in the swim. Cause that's happened multiple times or just like my goggles get ripped off or something. It's more of like a fix the problem and move on. There's no panic that's involved in it. That's like what the flow state, like when you get into like that perfect rhythm, that part is really great and you can have that rhythm. But even if something trips you up, like there's no real distractions, like nothing really gets to you. And it's not always easy to, you know, tap into because you're not always yeah. feeling fantastic or anything, but like, that's the trick. And I, I can be an emotional racer. And I think that in a lot of ways that helps me really like having that calm feeling through the race and just being able to process everything is, I think, pretty key to being a good racer. The physicality of the people at the top end of, of any sport is so closely aligned. You know, they're within points of percentages with each within each other. But it is that mental ability or that ability to overcome adversity that really helps those champions stand on the top. Do you rehearse things like that? So the go- your goggles get knocked off. Do you kind of rehearse in your mind what how you're going to handle those situations? Or is it you just have this message in your head that, you know, you can tap into no matter what situation comes your way? Yeah. So a lot of times I'll, I'll visualize like the perfect race. I feel like you imagine that a lot of times and it's it's bound to come true. Like you instill that in yourself. That's what you're focusing on. But yeah, I do like kind of go through like what what could happen? Like what do I do? But I've raced so many times and I've been through so many situations that I feel like I can have a lot of things thrown at me and a lot of things go wrong and adjust and not let it affect me. And I mean, yeah. you know, I might be jinxing myself a little bit because there could there are stuff that I haven't encountered that would be hard to get through in a race, but I I feel like I have a good foundation of going back and like, I've had my suit come unzipped. I've had whatever flat tires. I've had people jostle me on the run, just people, whatever, seeing people like not do something correctly on the course. And the biggest thing is not getting emotionally affected by it because when you get emotional, like you can almost feel that tightness inside of you and you're just like making things so much worse. It's when you're calm and you just say that happened what can I do to keep moving forward? Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. I think it's uh, it's pretty rare that we get to, to talk about these things, the mental side of it. Um, you know, as I said earlier, everyone's interested in like swim, bike, run and, you know, what's the workouts yeah. and stuff. But I think there's just this extra element. So I appreciate you sharing that. I'd love to go back to that Olympic experience. You mentioned you were, you were loose, you were light, you were, you know, your family was there. What's that like when you, your name gets called out and you, you go down to do, the dock and you look around and you're at the you're at the Olympics? It's all like kind of a blur. Like I remember like specific instances and I was trying to soak it all up. It, it kind of goes by in a flash. The thing that really sticks out is like that whole year leading in the Olympics, people are fit. Like people are are really like getting after it. And I mean, people like the the Brownlee brothers and Javier Gomez, like all these different people are racing really fast and are on this level. And it's like, it's just ratchets, it ratchets up like another notch or two when you get to the Olympic games. Cause I, I think I barely made that front bike pack. I was going so hard in the swim too. And it's like, all of your energy is just focused on that, but you still like kind of realize, Oh, like, wow. Like, I'm at the Olympic games, like this is pretty sweet. Then you get snapped back to reality and you're going up the hill for the sixth time. And you're like, okay, I still have at least twice more, like just don't lose it out of this corner. Don't lose it out of that corner. So it's like very focused on the job, but 
still trying to like soak in all of that. It was just cool. Like, I, I mean, one of the coolest things is going to like the events afterwards and we were just standing there. I was with my brothers and one of my friends and we were watching like the water polo team play against, I, it might've been for the gold medal match even. And I was, we were all decked out in USA stuff, but didn't have a flag. And one of the guys had another one and he just passed it off to us because he saw that we were way into it. We just didn't have a US flag. So I think that's pretty cool. And in that sort of stuff and just being able to to represent your country and you know something that only happens every four now five years what was it like having uh gwen win the gold medal you're a part of the team uh you know obviously the contingent of of triathletes is small per per country what was that like did you kind of feel like you're a part of that victory as well it's awesome when any u.s athlete wins an olympic medal uh, especially one in your sport so Gwen is an amazing athlete and to, to watch her like actually seal the deal with all the pressure leading up to the games and the battle with Nicholas Spierig, like that was, that was definitely a cool race to watch. And it's nice to think like, Hey, that's maybe played a small part of the medal, I guess, but really that's, that is all her and her team. And it's just cool to be in the same sport and to, See, that's what, you know, USA Triathlon helped develop that. Is the goal Tokyo or is the goal moving on to 70.3 and, and beyond? What's the what's the goal kind of coming up for you? I'm still straddling kind of multiple distances. So the mixed relay is still high up on my list, like trying to win a gold medal in that with the US Olympic team. But a lot of uncertainties there, I think, with now selection process, the game selection for countries and everything. So there's still a lot of information that needs to be sent out to us so that we can see it. But that was the goal coming into this year, and I felt I positioned myself well for it. And then it was also to be successful at the half Ironman distance and win a world championship there. So still kind of straddling that, but I think the, the Olympics are going to have to wait for another year and just kind of have to yeah. see what what kind of unfolds in that whole process. Tell me about the PTO. You know, they've been working on something for a couple of years now. You know, there's been some huge announcements. They've come in the sport with a lot of money. What's your take on that? Yeah, I think it's fantastic. And honestly, I think that, you know, some people might argue like, oh, it's a difficult time for them to break in. But like, this is the perfect time. Like, this is the Mm -hmm. time pros are coming together, taking ownership of the sport, showing the value that they have and and showing everybody that we're not just like in it for ourselves. We'd like everybody to be involved in this. It's great that, you know, people who are directly involved in the races are trying to add their input, just trying to be more involved than ever. So I'm I'm definitely for yeah. it. I'm a part of it. And yeah, they've been really great and in these times helping people who like the various pros, like especially ones that are, you know, middle of the pack who might need a little bit more help than others. So it's a similar version to like what tennis did, where the tennis players, they took ownership of their sport and helped elevate it. We're just trying to take ownership and, you know, create this great experience for for everybody involved. Yeah, it's interesting. I talked to Crowley about it. I think it's good. Um, My concern is similar to what you see in pro cycling where money comes into the sport and then it kind of vanishes as, as quickly as it came and it leaves a bit of a hole for people. That's my concern. You know, I, I, I wish them the best. I'm a fan of the sport. I'm a, you know, somewhat of a historian and, and a tri geek from way back. And I, I want to see it succeed. I want a new generation of athletes to get paid what they're worth. My concern is that, you know, it will leave a hole if it doesn't work. Well, it seems like they have a, a pretty good plan, like moving forward. And it seems like they're in it for 
for the long haul. And as you said, like they've had, it's been a few years in the making and I'm honestly, like, I'm real impressed that they've had the, the wherewithal to, to keep continuing through and to, to take it all the way to this point. And even in an unideal year, continue to push forward with everything. I mean, like you said, like there've been, I've been around the sport for a decent amount of time to watch big money races come and go. It seems like we've been lucky enough to, to have one race replace another, but yeah, it's always disappointing to watch those starting with like the Bud Light series going away, like Lifetime has um, disappeared on the pro circuit. You have uh, Hy-V that used to be there, Island House, and they stick around for a few years and then disappear. But I'm hoping yeah. with, you know, like the buy-in from uh, all of the professionals that, you know, this is something that we're trying to make last long term and should be a good addition to the sport as a whole for a while. What's your opinion on the on the upcoming uh, potential acquisition of Ironman? Uh, you know, I'm watching it. So I, I think it'd be cool if the PTO acquired it. I'm not sure exactly all of the details behind like what's going on or what, what the plans are and everything. So I'm sure there are some people who can speak way better on it than I can. But yeah. I think as long as, as people who, who are in charge of Ironman care about each individual racer and the racing experience, like that's the most important thing. And it, it's the same thing, like it aligns with the money. Like I think that being too concerned with, you know, making a profit on everything can be a little bit dangerous, but yeah, yeah I mean, I think that it's, it's a good thing for people who really care about the sport, which the PTO does. So and mm-hmm. whoever's trying to buy Ironman, as long as they really care about the race experience and the people who are, are funding that race experience, every single athlete, like, that's the most important thing to me. You talked about being having been in the sport for a while. I want to talk. I want to hear from you. What's your most memorable triathlon experience? Yeah, that's a hard one because the sport's been so good to me. I've had quite a few. Like, I mean, uh, growing up in the sport, racing with a kids team. I, I think one of the most memorable times there is uh, my brother winning a youth elite national championship, and it was in Colorado Springs, and just one of those races where they were trading off back and forth and three or four guys came off the bike pretty close and my brother was like a runner, but he wasn't quite a runner. And these other two guys, people were like, Oh yeah, they're super fast. And it was like Hunter Honeycutt and Tony Smorgowitz. So, and Tony went on and ran in college, but yeah, Josh, like it was back and forth. And Tim Young, who's still involved with USAT was announcing the race, just like he announces the junior races now and did a great job calling it in just back and forth. And my brother, Josh ended up winning it. And then, Later that year, he dropped the mic and he's like, I'm retired. I'm going out on top and focused on his swimming. So I always thought that that was a, a pretty good story. And I guess in recent years, it'd have to be the Island House Triathlon, just with how unique of an experience that is. Just being able to walk away from the win with that race was just amazing. Taking yeah. Courtney along, just the whole package was was really there for experiences. Yeah, it's a shame that one went away and hopefully we can revamp that. I'd love to love to go and, and, and watch that. That'd be amazing. I want to ask you three questions. I, I finished the segment. I finished the show with, uh, with three questions every day, very much based on isolation and current circumstances. What's one thing that's changed for you during isolation that you want to keep once we go back to whatever our new normal is? This one is, uh, I'm, I'm using a bit of a cop out, but we, we got a puppy right at the beginning. We had planned on getting it before, but that's one of the major changes and we spent a lot of time with the puppy. So we definitely want to keep the dog after <laughs> Love it. That was a softball. That was easy. You have to keep the dog. You have no choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Number two, what's one thing that you thought was important before isolation that you're happy to leave in the past? 
You know, this is a really hard question. It's funny because my lifestyle, like I, I train on my own a lot and, you know, we, we, we joke that we kind of were socially isolating before even all of this. I, I you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to answer a different question. I'd say that hanging out with friends and being around family, family, like we knew it was important beforehand, but like yeah. right now, like I think that it's, it's especially important. We're lucky enough to have like a, some family that's close by here. So I think maybe beforehand, like we kind of would do our own thing a little, but just kind of going back to like family values, especially, and just reinforcing that has been pretty cool to see. We've had three answers only for that question. It's not uh, spending less money, so not buying things. Uh, the second one was social media and not feeling like it is something that you have to do. And then the other one was gratitude and not taking friends and family for granted. So I feel like um, the sh- one could be dangerous because I think some people are are shopping to make themselves feel better. And I think I've been a little bit guilty of that at one point or another. Just yeah, right. Yeah. And so yeah, it's interesting. I've been the opposite. I like I can't remember the last time I well, I bought a I bought a ride on mower. That was the last thing I bought. It's a big purchase, obviously, but it was uh yeah. I don't think I've spent anything else. Like, you know, we get the groceries delivered, we're not going to coffee shops. My Amex bill has never been so so good. That's awesome. Yeah, it's splurging on the groceries for us to feel like, oh, getting the groceries delivered and you have the big list of stuff that you can order from and like, man, we haven't had fruit snacks in years. Let's get some fruit snacks. Yeah, why not? Third question, last question. What's been the most memorable, joyful moment that you've had during isolation? Yeah, that's also a tough one. I mean, I could cop out and say the puppy. Yeah, we're going to go back to the to the family one. Courtney's sister is pregnant right now, so there's a lot of, of joyful moments with family and everything. So the like pregnancy in the midst of all of this is is finding something pretty excited to be about. Have there been any moments where you've kind of actually taken pause? Like you're out on the road and you've, you've noticed that, you know, there's a tree there you've never seen before. Have you kind of been able to be a bit more immersive in your, in your world, given that you're not so heads down focused on numbers and, and hitting those numbers? Yeah, definitely. Just noticing stuff in the neighborhood and yeah, exploring our our city just a bit more and it's been a little bit i think eerie at times because in living in phoenix like it's a big driving city but like it's been relatively quiet like we are, we're able to cross roads running instead of going through tunnels and stuff that we usually wouldn't be able to cross very easily so it's been nice to be able to get out and enjoy the fresh air and i mean i keep seeing stories about air quality and stuff being way better now than it ever has yeah. been for that people want things to go back to like normal, but not really because they want, mm-hmm. you know, climate change has become a much bigger issue because everybody's like, oh, this is so great. Like I can see for more than like a few miles in some of the big cities. So I think yeah, it's been pretty cool to notice that sort of stuff. Mate, it's been great to have you on the show. I love you kind of opening up the kimono a little bit on the mindset stuff. That was a highlight for me. And um, it's really good to hear that you and Courtney are doing well. And yeah, I appreciate your time and, and energy for joining me. And uh, for anyone who's here, as mentioned, we're going live every single day at 3.30 Eastern. Uh, tomorrow, we have uh, my former boss, a Lululemon and Nike exec, Duke Stump, an incredible, incredible person, such an interesting story, working with Nike way back in the day when uh, Mark Allen was one of their marquee athletes. So he's got a long history in endurance sports as well, but uh, you know, very creative and very talented man. So you'll want to catch that. Ben, thanks for coming by, mate. It's been great to catch up and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Thanks so much, Ben. What another fantastic episode. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you check back each and every day in May as I bring to life the I'm Curious to Know project. 
If you want to catch a live recording, make sure you tune in to the innervoice.life Facebook page at 3.30pm Eastern every single day. I'm Travis McKenzie, and thanks for listening to the Inner Voice Podcast.